going on everybody hello again and welcome back to another episode of the welch report with me jean-luc welch make some noise pop it up get excited wherever you are we are back with another jam-packed episode covering the world of the nba specifically because you want to talk about an avalanche information that just dropped a bombshell on everybody in the basketball world with the bucks firing their head coach plus trade deadlines coming up and everybody all of a sudden looking to make some major moves specifically the atlanta hawks and the lakers plus much much more to talk about on this show including a goat conversation with kevin durant does he belong or does he not belong in his opinion he does is he right or is he wrong and a plethora of other things that we got to cover on this show thank you for tuning in thank you for listening to the show again leave a like on the video if you're watching on youtube Comment your thoughts and opinions. Subscribe to the channel and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together of a community. We are almost at 800. We keep on climbing up and I can't do it without you. So thank you so much for all the support. And if you're on Spotify, like or rather rate this show five stars. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, every major podcasting platform. You name it, we're there. And if not, Tell me, and I will get there in a heartbeat. But we got so much to cover. We got a bunch of stuff to talk about. And without further ado, let's jump right into the world of the NBA. Talking about first and foremost, my goodness, what is happening in the main streets of Milwaukee? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Bucks have fired Adrian Griffin, their head coach after. Mind you, this team is second in the East. 30 and 13 on their record this year. Then it seemed like the float was the boat was floating phenomenally. Offense has been clicking great. Damian Lillard has been finding a groove. Giannis has been as dominant as ever. The depth of the Bucks have st- has still been one of the best all-around teams in the NBA. Seemingly, this was smooth sailing for the Milwaukee Bucks. Seemingly, this was a team that got it right, was working, was fluid, was doing everything great. Now, all of a sudden, they just go and, boom, drop the bombshell. Their coach is out of there. Mind you, remember when Mike Budenholzer was, Budenholzer was coach of this Milwaukee Bucks squad. And recently, after they won a championship, they continued to have great winning seasons, decently deep playoff runs. All of a sudden, they fired him out the blue. So this was a very, uh, this is rather another perplexing move to some degree as to why this happens. So what in the world would cause the Bucks to fire their coach after having such a great season this year? But one of the things was speculated was the fact that he was going to fire Giannis, or rather let go, Giannis, or Giannis' brother, Thanasis. Now, of course, that's a joke. We all know that Thanasis, with respect to him, Sucks as an NBA player. It's an absolute bum as an NBA player. Runs around like a chicken with his head cut off. It's comical basketball watching for the NBA fan. A palate cleanser to the l- l- dry, and some people say it's the dry regular season of the NBA to watch somebody go and essentially tumbleweed their way down to somehow scoring some points or making a play in the Nazis. And again, this is no disrespect to Giannis or his brother, but with the reason why. There's a reason why the Nazis is on that squad. And it ain't because of his talent. No, it's because of the support that he brings to his brother. But again, that is more so a joke for why they were saying that Adrian Griffin got fired. But the real reason might be because of two things. One, reports are saying that Giannis has lost faith in Adrian Griffin as a coach for the team. And he isn't running this team as needed to maximize what the abilities are for the Milwaukee Bucks and specifically. 
the second thing about the second additive to that sentiment by Giannis is the fact of Adrian Griffin's inability to use Damian Lillard to his fullest capacity. Now, again, we've had we've seen Damian Lillard say that he's been adjusting to the system of the Milwaukee Bucks, and it was a rocky start to some degree at the start of the season, but seemingly he found his stride. It's not the outright, outright game that we know that was in the trailblazers but he's been growing he hit game one he's had a couple 30 point performances. i think he had a 40 point performance if i remember correctly this year if not close to it he's been again playing pretty well on the year so it's very confusing when we watch and look at what exactly the reasoning is for why this bucks team all of a sudden says he needs to depart in part ways. And again, going back to Damian Lillard, he's averaging 25 and 4 with 6 to 6, 60% true shooting on the year. So it's again looking like the Damian Lillard that we know and love and wanted to go to a good situation. Hence where he is right now. Look at what he's doing to the team. It's a bunch of different, it's it's not even different factors. It's just it's perplexing because they've made this move before. Again, Mike Budenholzer, they made this move before with the coach that was getting them quality wins, seemingly was moving this team in the right direction, had won a championship with them before, and just, it was it was perplexing, very perplexing. But if it is, if it is indeed true that Giannis is, is it has that much pull in the organization, if he's lost faith in Adrian Griffin and wanting him out of there, and they got him out of there. Well, it just speaks to the testament of how important the Bucks value Giannis as an asset for this team, as being the ultimate alpha or the ultimate voice for the direction that this team goes. Let's hope it's the right decision because now, after Adrian Griffin got fired, leading candidate, or rather who has agreed in principle to be the new head coach, has been Doc Rivers. And this is where stuff really gets interesting. Is Doc Rivers the right move for the direction that Giannis and the rest of the Bucks organization wants to go to get this team into, in their eyes, solidified championship status, even though they're about there already with how great they've been performing? Again, I believe they are, what, second in the entire NBA in offensive rating, have been eighth in three-point percentage, have been one of the best offensive teams in the league today. Averaging 121 points, this is a squad who, with Giannis and Dame at the helm, they've been nigh unstoppable. However, their defense has been 21st in the NBA, giving up 117, I believe, or rather, their defensive rating is 117.4, with offensive rating being 121.4. So again, one of the best def- offenses in the league, but defensively they have been not as on point as we know this team. They're still great all around. But that has been one of the bigger declines in this squad. Decline is, a, I use that lightly because, again, they don't look like they're on the decline right now. But in terms of the production on both sides of the floor, hey, one thing is carrying the job more than the other. Now that you have Doc Rivers, again, agreeing in principle to being brought on for this squad after having a uh, essentially an announcing gig, for is it TNT or ESPN, one of the major media companies being out of coaching for what a bit year or two after getting fired from the Clippers? It's now a situation that is he going to be the right move? Is this the right way to get this Bucks team to where they feel they need to be and to maximize everything that this roster has to offer? And it's 
I almost want to say no. Not because Doc Rivers isn't a good coach. No, he is. But let's be also honest. He has been riding the coattails of having that championship in Boston for a very long time. And ever since that championship, and once he got to the Clippers with Kawhi, with PG, with a squad that looked like they were supposedly able and capable of running that entire Western Conference and failing to perform every time, getting constantly bounced by teams that you should be beating, underperforming consistently whenever you seem like an not the underdog, but the overdog, but the, the conqueror, not the person trying to conquer something with one of the best core rosters at your disposal. And two of the best, essentially, two of the best two-way players in the NBA at that point in time, and still today, in Kawhi and PG. Injuries or not, it was still, hey, you got to produce something. You got to show more with this squad than what you're showing right now. And he consistently fell short. And yes, we know winning is hard in the NBA. Everybody can't just win a championship. We understand that. We also understand the domination the domination that the Warriors at that point in time were doing amongst the rest of the NBA. We get that. Still. Still residual effects. And we get, hey, Lakers won it in 2020. They also got bounced up by Luka alone in that series. No great adjustments were made by Doc Rivers with respect. And we know Paul George also was, again, pandemic P, got his mantra for the worst reason possible without a business he was performing. But we still, with all of that, still something had to fall on Doc Rivers as to why you just aren't getting the job done. It's why they got rid of him. Now going on to the Milwaukee Bucks squad, a tailor-made situation. Is he going to be the man to get this team back on top? Or, excuse me, back into the flow that they want to be in in terms of being a dominant squad on both sides of the ball? And he has that ability. Because he is a defensive-minded coach, and he can't get this team from being 21st ranked defensively in the league to potentially top 10. It's possible. It is possible. And this could be the move that gets everybody on board, in sync, and ready to fight for a title. Though they already are even more geared up and even more equipped. I'm not saying Doc Rivers is, is not a good coach. No, he is. But, again, I can't overlook. There's a reason why he couldn't get it done with the Clippers. There's a reason why that championship with Boston has held so much weight on his entire career, though he has consistently fallen short. There's something has to look to Doc as something about your philosophy, something about the way that you're coaching isn't translating up until a certain point. You're not doing something that switches a gear that gets you over the necessary hump. From your scheming perspective, we understand the players have to perform. We get that. We understand that wholeheartedly. That also doesn't mean that there's something has to fall on the coach in some aspect to make it so that even if your players don't play up to expectation, you still have an ability to counteract it with how you scheme. And seemingly, time after time, when he's had a quality squad, when he's had the chips in his favor, 
can't get it done. With this buck squad, is this the right move? It can be. Oh, it can be. He can be the coach for the Bucks that can make this team fully fleshed out to go back to what they were in what 2019 when they won when they won the chip or the 2021 whenever Giannis won a championship against the Suns. He can he could very well be the key. Could very well be the key to turn this team into the best squad in the East, arguably the entire NBA. Even usurping the Boston Celtics, who on paper are the most complete squad. They are. It's Boston, Milwaukee, and then Denver. Or excuse me, Boston, Denver, then Milwaukee in terms of complete field out squads. Where from top to bottom, they are set to be a threat with everybody on their roster. No real weakness that you can just go and attack, attack, attack. They got a lineup for every situation. They can match up with anybody. And they're proficient in whatever they try to run. Small ball. Big man game. Two man game. If they want to play five out. If they want to play fast. If they want to play slow. If they want to play in the half court. If they want to be able to match up big on big. They can, they can do anything. All three of those teams can do anything. Now it's a matter of coaching that can that can be the X factor in separating how they perform when they go against each other. That's what it's going to come down to, most likely at the end of the season. And is Doc going to be the man to make this fully flushed out Milwaukee Bucks team achieve their ultimate goal? He can be, but there is some skepticism. There is. There is some skepticism to it all. There is some real, it's, it's, it's a conundrum because it's Doc Rivers. And again, I respect Doc Rivers, but it is a real conundrum. Because they also could have gotten somebody like a Mark Jackson, who is still in the pool to be a head coach for an organization. He is still in the pool to be a head coach for anything. He can be prepped and, uh, and able to put his style of coaching in this Milwaukee Bucks squad and turn this team into a completely new monster, potentially. Again, because he set the standard for what, or rather he set the foundation for what we know with the Warriors now that Steve Kerr went and modified to what we know them as, as the Splash Bros. But Mark Jackson, again, set the foundation. And he is there. He has experience. Was in that same boat of not having a job in coaching as Doc Rivers. And was still being advocated by many people. And not advocated for by many other people for idiotic and stupid reasons. For not having a job. To a degree has been blackballed for no good reason. For hearsay more than anything. If you want to look at what the hearsay is, go do the details and research for yourself. Absolutely. But no, he should have a job. Why was it that he wasn't given this opportunity to work with Giannis and Dang 
and maximize this offense to a whole nother level, potentially. When you got a shooter in this era on the caliber, not saying he's as good, but on the caliber of somebody like a Steph Curry with one of the most dominating, or excuse me, with up until this point, two-time MVP, defensive player of the year, one of the most dominating drivers and basket attackers that we have seen in NBA history. One of the most unstoppable players in the world today in Giannis Antetokounmpo. You have them both together and you mean to tell me that you wouldn't want Mark Jackson on the squad orchestrating an offense that could be nigh unstoppable potentially? And mind you, this team is also eighth in three-point percent, shooting 37.7% from the field or from three. Round it up, 38. Round that up about 40. If you want to go there. So you mean to tell me that Mark Jackson couldn't be a man that could make this squad something vicious for everybody in the NBA? You out of your mind. Out of your mind. I'm not saying that Doc Rivers is a bad pick. But I'm saying the track record, track, the track record, excuse me, of what he's done with similar to potentially better all-around teams. Again, potentially in some people's eyes. But at least on par with what he's in principle agreed to coach with in the Milwaukee Bucks. And what he's done with that, the constant failures when you shouldn't be failing at a certain point, the constant disappointments of having high expectations and situations where you should be winning and you don't. Hey, what the world? Even before Paul George and Kawhi, CP3, CP, yeah, yeah, CP3, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Lob City. They they would look to be hey that that's the that was the supersonics of the modern day in terms of not just with the two man absolute entertainment spectacle that was Chris Paul throwing lobs to Blake Griffin, but also from a complete standpoint they could shoot the lights out they could play small or big, and they had everything necessary to match up with anybody. And should have been a team that got to a title. But what happened? Again, constant disappointment. Looking back on that team, that should have been a whole lot better. That organization should have got had at least one finals appearance when Lob City was at its peak. Chris Paul still playing like a point guard to the fullest of his extent still relatively in his prime with an absolute in his prime, Blake Griffin and a bunch of other pieces around him. Jamal Crawford, J.J. Reddick, Karan Butler, great pieces all around. This should have, that, that should have been more and Doc should have done more, but he didn't. So he's had instances where he's been similarly should have been up here, but never achieved. Now he's back in this stage where this is arguably the best team he's been a part of. 
already has championship experience even before he got there, has kept most of their core together and has gotten better with Damian Lillard. If he does indeed, again, he's agreed in principle. If he signs completely and it still turns out that he is not performing, it was a mistake. We have to say this can be seen as a mistake. If it does indeed turn out that this isn't, this is again another story of Doc Rivers falling flat when he's had an organization that has put everything in front of him that you should be achieving more than you are. That's the truth of the matter. So we, I'm leery, very leery. Is that word, is that the right word? Leery? Weary? Concerned? We'll use it. I'm concerned more than anything about Doc Rivers in this spot with Milwaukee. This could be really good, but this also could be a repeat of history that we've seen before. And oh boy, if that is, Giannis is going to be hot, incredibly hot, because this team should be in line for a title. Thoroughly competing. They fall short again. Who? Oh boy, it's on, we gotta say it's on Doc. We gotta say it's on Doc. Unless it's just an outright egregious thing by the players. We would then have to say, Doc, maybe this wasn't the right move. Signing with Milwaukee. But moving on, as we got so much other stuff to cover in the world of the NBA, talking about trade deadline and everything going on with moves, one of the bigger moves that's being eyed on is not just Zach Levine potentially getting moved out of Chicago, which is still, again, is that going to happen? Will it happen? Won't it happen? Still thinking that it's going to happen, even if it's not to Los Angeles. He might get moved somewhere because Chicago does look like they want to rebuild. But would Lakers are still in play because now Atlantis has been said that they has been looked at as to they want to move Murray. The experiment with DeJounte Murray, Trey Young, hasn't been working. Lakers have now come out as an outright front runner for getting DeJounte Murray on their squad. But the not Milwaukee, but the Hawks are asking for two first round picks in a starting level player. Who does that entail if in fact it is the Lakers who want to make this move and are willing to make this move? Well, D'Lo, most likely is going to be the guy that's going to be moved, has been speculated, not just by internal moves, but also by the way that we see D'Lo on social media, on Instagram, and on Twitter, specifically with his Instagram stories, looking sad in press conferences. Again, now in practice, kind of hyping himself up, saying like, oh no, yeah, I'm I'm a dog. And he's been playing like a dog. He's had a couple very good performances. had 38 at one point in time playing the Lakers' savior. had 27 in their last loss with LeBron out. So he's been playing. Hey, Bud has been putting in some consistent work, though he's been up and down for the majority of the season. He'll have a good game and then have a string of mediocre to bad games, shooting his team out of games at points in time, but then getting back in realm and playing phenomenal. So it's, an, it's a very drastic ebb and flow, extremely drastic. Now, playing when it's almost time to move some people around. Now starting to play up the par. 
Is this enough for them to keep him? Potentially, arguably. But most likely they're still going to look to move to get DeJounte Murray. But if that indeed does happen, is it necessary? That's the bigger question. Again, you can argue whether Delo's worth keeping because of his inconsistency. No problem there. Also, was talking about the Ruiz being moved, potentially. And I, Lord, I hope that don't happen. That's terrible. That's horrible for this organization. But on the whole, is there anything that actually needs to be done for this Lakers squad in terms of making moves? And I would argue no. I would argue that there's no need for this Lakers organization to make moves on the trade deadline because this team right now is built to make a playoff run. Is built to make a finals run, potentially. This same squad, relatively worse, if we're being perfectly honest, worse equipped last season, got to the Western Conference Finals and lost to the eventual champions, the Denver Nuggets. No, we, they only retooled and got better for the most part. You still haven't seen Gabe Vincent play nearly as much because of injury. We get that. We understand that. Will he play up to par, up to the $33 million that they're actually paying him this year or over the course of his contract? Hey, only time will tell. In my opinion, I think they made a bad move in signing him now looking in hindsight. But that's neither here nor there. When it comes to this Lakers organization, there should be no need for them to make any more moves because of how they're equipped right now is more than enough to get them to a championship. It is. It's the fact that it's a, I'm a broken record. Their coach is the problem because of the inconsistencies in having a lineup where everybody knows their role. We've been through this before. There's no need to make a trade when you already have everything at your disposal. If you kept everything like it was now and Darvin Ham was coaching like he needs to actually coach, have a secured five. Have a secured six or, or, or six to, to ten man rotation. Outright. Who is your definitive sixth man? Who is the rest of your ten man rotation that you know you are going to rock with? And where are your situational matchups that you put in guaranteed if they're healthy when the requisite matchups and scheme comes? Lakers didn't use Dwight Howard all the time when they played him, when they got their bubble championship, their legitimate championship in 2020. But they brought Dwight out on a consistent 10 to 15 minute rotation at some point in time. At minimum, 10 to 5 minutes in game on throughout the regular season. And then when the requisite matchup was required, they played him 15 to 25 minutes. Like when he played against Nikola Jokic. Did some good defense on him in the process, but still. Played the situational lineup and throughout the regular season knew exactly what his role was. Rebounding, catching lives, and being a defensive uh, anchor when AD was off the floor to give AD some rest. But if that was 5 to 10 minutes throughout the game and then sit down and let AD and Braun do what they do. That's what that is what it was. And that's what worked. Now with Darvin Ham on his roster, they have been completely 
they are still at the same record where they were last season at this exact same point in time in the season. When they were, we were all speculating, hey, the Lakers might not make the playoffs. That's what was going on. This squad is still the same squad. It's just better. But the coaching is still the same, hence why the problems still arise. I don't get why. When you win the play-in tournament, you don't build off of that lineup and make a rotation from there. I don't know why. When you got to the Western Conference Finals, you don't continue to build off of that roster with that foundational rotational aspect and make something out of that. When you have a blueprint that was working against, at that point in time, the people who became champions, the defending champs right now, yet still you opt to do the most idiotic things in retooling, or not, not retooling, excuse me, rescheming and moving people around willy-nilly trying to find what works but never finding it because you're not trying to find what works. You're just doing dumb stuff if you're Darvin Ham. It's just the truth. If anything, I would love for Adrian Griffin to go and sign with the Lakers. This is the prime time. Are you kidding me? If there was any point in time to get somebody to coach this Lakers squad, if you didn't want to let go of Darvin Ham because there wasn't any viable options, though again, Mark Jackson's still on the table. If any point in time was requisite to make a change, it's now. It is right now. It is you let go right now. I got Twitter on my computer right now, scrolling through, waiting for the announcement. If it does come, that a change has been made and there's an Adrian Griffin has been signed to the Lakers or Darvin Ham has been fired. One of the two. Something's got to happen because this team is too well-equipped with everything necessary to make legitimate moves in the entire Western Conference, nigh the entire NBA. There's no need that we are speculating whether or not the Lakers need to make a move for DeJounte Murray. There's no need. None whatsoever. It shouldn't be a conversation because how they're equipped now, they should be far and away better off than they were. Far and away. They should be far and away better than what we're seeing right now from this Lakers squad. There's no excuse except for Darvin Ham is not a quality coach. It's just not a quality coach. It's a constant thing that we keep on seeing with this Lakers organization. When you don't have a real leader that people believe in, you see the results. Would that be because that you that you aren't buying in to the Lakers morale? Rather, Lakers aren't buying into your scheme, or because you can't connect with the with the players on a human level, which we've seen before. There's a plethora of reasons as to why a disconnect and a rift can happen. But the point is, if you can't change it, you're of no good to that organization. That's what's going on with the Lakers right now. This team should not be where it is. They should. We shouldn't need to be saying that they need to trade for DeJounte Murray. He would be a great asset. Don't get it twisted. 
Great asset. Just had multiple game winners. He's averaging what 17 and 6 on the year. Is one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. Steals machine. Length and wingspan and athletic ability. And can isolate on his own. Can get to the hoop and can shoot. If given the freedom, he can run an offense by himself. He's good. He is very good. He'll be a great asset for this Lakers squad. He would be an upgrade over D'Lo. Yes, he would. Because while D'Lo can get hot offensively, defensively, he's been a liability. Don't let the block by him on James Harden against the game against the Clippers fool you. No, he can't be a defensive liability. He can be hunted. Just like Austin Reeves can be hunted and was hunted. But with DeJounte Murray on that squad, now that ups the defensive ability that this squad can do and can achieve. Limits who, in fact, you can attack. and allows for you to switch so that you can make your weakest link look strong in, in this situation if it was that D'Lo got traded. It would be Austin Reeves. And now you're set. You can have a you can have a lineup. Murray, Reeves, LeBron, Vanderbilt, AD. Or Rui instead of Vanderbilt. Take your pick. It's phenomenal. But the point still stands. All of that means nothing. If even if you got DeJounte Murray. Your rotations are still what they are. It'll amount to nothing. Nobody will feel comfortable. Nobody will feel ready. Nobody will feel actively able to perform their role. Because what did we see last time we talked about this? And one of the complaints of the Los Angeles Lakers, nobody feels like they have a role. Except for AD and LeBron. Nobody does. Darvin Ham is, is the problem. He will continue to be the problem. And if LA can get him out of there, now would be the time, more than any time, to make a move and make it so that Darvin Ham is no longer a liability for this Lakers squad to underachieve. Because you get some consistency on this Lakers squad like you did in the play-in, like you did when you made a deep run, a surprising deep run in the playoffs. You're golden. You're golden. You can't move up to a top five team in all the NBA if you're the Los Angeles Lakers because you're built like that. AD has been playing consistently, healthy, dominating. 25 or 14, I believe he was the leading rebounder, one of the leading rebounders in the NBA, one of arguably the best defensive center in the NBA. Is making a strong case to be in the running for defensive player of the year. And is dominating down low, not I'm not worried about him getting injured anymore. Not worried about him getting hurt. It's playing physical, playing like a dog, and you're wasting that? Shame on you if you're Darvin Ham. Shame. You should be ashamed of yourself. What is wrong with you doing this idiot, these idiotic moves with this roster that if you just put everybody in one requisite role, and give players the freedom necessary to operate to their fullest capacity, you can make this team go to the moon. But you won't because you're not a good coach. Again, if there was any time to let go, 
and make a move, now would be the time. Also in the terms of the offseason, it would be behoove me not to talk about Terry Rozier going to Miami. This is phenomenal for Miami because of the fact that Terry Rozier has been playing great on in Charlotte while they have been a requisite nothing franchise. He's been playing phenomenal. And they got rid of Kyle Lowry, finally, because Kyle Lowry was doing a bunch of nothing. Oh, and by the way, one of the biggest reasons why that the Atlanta trade hadn't gone down, though it's been speculated, for Murray going to the Lakers is because Atlanta may be looking for a third team to trade with to make the requisite compensation possible that they are looking for. And if that is the case, we can see some moves go on. And maybe Terry Rozier isn't done moving yet, potentially, hypothetically. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying keep an eye out for that if it does indeed pan out that Terry Rozier's last stop isn't in Miami. And he could very well end up in Atlanta or maybe end up in Los Angeles. It could go either way. Who knows? If it does fall to that metric, I'm not saying it will, I'm saying it's a possibility. We know how crazy, crazy trade deadline can be. But back to the point at hand. If they do keep him in Miami, hey, that could be something very good. Now you got Butler, Bam, and Rozier. More offensive firepower at your disposal to back up Jimmy Butler, especially come playoff time if they come. If it comes to they make the playoffs, yes, they have looked now. They haven't looked like the same Miami Heat squad that we know them as for the past two years. That have made surprising playoff moves. We get that trades, injuries, and all that stuff. Yeah, that has affected the squad. But still, we could see Terry Rozier be a legitimately good piece for this Miami Heat squad and for this team. And when they get fully together, oh boy. Oh, man, with some more moves in the trade deadline if they do make them. Don't be surprised if we see Miami again making a run in the playoffs. Though how relatively quiet they've been this season. Don't be surprised because it's Miami. Because they have a legitimately good player in pickup in Terry Rozier. And because of Jimmy Butler. If it gets to a point where they have a legitimate shot at the playoffs, he will turn into Michael Jordan's son, as we know him to turn into at times. Just the second coming of one of the most dominant players that we've seen ever, out of nowhere. He'll, when he turns it up, oh my, my goodness. <laughs> it's a scary thing to see. Because it's all fun and games, but le legitimately, that brother's a dog. They get into sniffing distance of saying we're gonna be comfortable, we can be in the playoffs comfortably, and we can make a shot. Oh man, everybody look out. Because this could build into something more potentially. Now transitioning from off-season moves into the world of dominating performances in the NBA, as we gotta talk about Joel and B putting up 70 points on the Spurs in an absolute masterclass. One of his best games, and it was actually, no, excuse me, the best game of his today offensively. It was insane. 58% from the field all around. Went 21 for 23, 91% from the free throw line for the, for the, that's what that percentage comes out to. 18 rebounds. He was 
on a tear. He was on a tear. Was, it was wild. Wild to see. And again, this is on Victor Wimbayama. Granted, seven foot four. However, brother is skinny as a stick. And this is one of the biggest things that comes into a concern for Victor Wimbayama, at least at this stage in his career. How will his body be able to adapt to these big giants like Joel Embiid, who may not be as tall, but are physically so gifted and so powerful? You and your height might not be able to make up for that type of difference. And we saw that come full force here, handling him like a gazelle. It was a lion eating a gazelle. Excuse me. It was just flawless basketball. It was one of, not, not one of, his best game to date. And most likely, this solidifies him, at least in my mind, as leading MVP. We talked about this earlier. Is he, in fact, leading MVP candidate? He was a front runner, and it was close between him and Nicole Jokic. With Nicole Jokic putting up, again, 25, 10, and I believe 8 or 9. How dominating he's been with his performances throughout the season. But this is just, undeniable. Again, another testament of just how great Joel Embiid has been this season. Averaging was it 36 and 12? Excuse me, 36.6 and about 12 rebounds has been on a tear offensively, has been unstoppable against everybody. He's his last 10 games, he's averaged 40. Last what 20 something, he's put up 30 minimum. Most of those it's been 35 or more. It's insane the amount of of groove this brother's in right now. Joel Embiid has been playing like the best basketball player in the world at this point in time. It's very hard to argue. Not Again, it's either him or Nikola Jokic. And Jokic has been playing, always plays like so. It's easy. Again, multiple game winners is putting up 25, 10 and 10, 30, 12 and 8, 30, 12 and 10, 30, 10 and 10. Just on a whim. Whatever. Affecting the game, only scoring four points. It's insane what we see Nikola Jokic be. But at this stage, it's right now, we, the production is just speaking for itself. At this point in time, Joel Embiid is starting to separate himself from everybody else. This season, he is starting to separate himself from everybody else. He is, my goodness, this is just, it's insane. It's insane. And he's the only, quote-unquote, main name, name star. On his squad. No disrespect to Tyrese Maxey. But hey. Joel Embiid's writing the ship on his own. After everybody else left. After James Harden left. We've been to this. After James Harden left. After Ben Simmons left. After essentially being a, the lone wolf. To carry this organization. Domination after domination after domination. Climaxed by this dominating performance. It's just it's a sight to behold. We have to say. At this current point in time. We need to start considering Joel Embiid right now as the best player in the league. Because that stretch of games is undeniable. It's irrefutable. You can't, you can't undo that level of production. Nor just act like it doesn't exist. It just doesn't. It, it, like, again, Devin Booker put up 70. And we lauded over. This is insane. This is insane. This is insane what we saw from Joel Embiid. And he is, what makes this so special? Even more than that, what makes this so special? More than just the achievement. Is the fact that we are now witnessing 
a distinct point in time when a player is reaching the best that he's ever been. You know how some people pop the clutch and they have you know, that season, a breakout year. And then even after that breakout year, okay, now he's, he's hitting his prime. And then you get a point in time when, oh my gosh, this is the best this guy's ever been. This is the best version of this player. It just is. For Kobe, it could be when he won, when he scored, when he averaged 35. It could be. For Shaq, it could have been his 01, 02 season. For LeBron, 2018, the best player of any version of any player ever that I've ever seen. But everybody had one. Also, some people thought it was 2013 Miami. And some people thought it was 2016 LeBron. There's so many. But for me, it's 2018 LeBron. MJ is one of the championship years. Is it 93? Is it 96? Take your pick. But he had a version that was the best that he had ever been. Hakeem Olajuwon. He had a version in time. NBA champion. Finals MVP. MVP. Defensive player of the year. NBA first team. That's the best I have seen Hakeem Olajuwon in history. He had put everything together. Everybody's got that one version that is distinctly, oh, that's that's Joel Embiid to his fullest extent in terms of thinking of other people. That's Hakeem Olajuwon in the fullest capacity. That is Michael Jordan in the fullest capacity. That's LeBron in his fullest capacity. This is what we're seeing from, from Joel. This is Joel Embiid in, to the fullest extent. This is the best Joel Embiid that we have ever seen, and maybe that we will ever see. There's an argument that this could be the best version of Joel Embiid that has ever been. And mind you, he won MVP last year. And last year I was saying it was disputed. And my pick was, was Nikola Jokic because of how across the board he had that same level of domination. In more categories and a bigger effect on the game. Well, that was me. Which I still hold true to that. It hasn't changed the fact that this season, Joel Embiid has been playing better, averaging better, and has been even more deliberate and unstoppable in his ability to affect the game with nobody else around him. Like, we thought that last season was the best Joel Embiid we would ever see. He is usurping that this season with even more impactful performance. We are seeing, potentially, the best version of Joel Embiid that w- there will ever be in his career. We want to talk about players in their prime, what we think of, this season will be the season. If he tops this, I will be surprised. I'll be incredibly surprised. Because this Joel Embiid is just, it's, it's a sight to behold. It, I don't know what you can do with him. Not to mention he's legitimately shooting threes at a decent clip coupled with the interior domination. This is the best version of Joel Embiid that we may ever see. 
that's just point blank period. And it's it's in, I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm not gonna do the whole wait until the postseason. Nah, forget that. I'm enjoying this now. We may not see him to reach this level of domination again. As far as it takes him is as far as I'm gonna see it. Plain and simple. But we are going to respect it and enjoy it and give props to it. Because this Jordan B right now, there's a real argument that he may be the best player in the world. There's a real argument. He might be the best player in the world at this current stage in the season. Could it change? Absolutely. As all things can. Especially in the season, in, in, in a season-by-season season basis. We know things can shift. We have seen this happen. This is not nothing new. It's not an excuse. This is a fact of life. This is just what it is. This can this can change and float, and a new person ultimately takes that crown, absolutely. But that's not right now. Right now, it is Joel Embiid, in my opinion, should be seen as the best player in the world. His outright production is just undeniable. It's just undeniable. Undeniable right now. So undeniable that it overshadowed another dominating performance. Carl Towns put up 60. And quickly, one of the things about that is the fact that is it rare that I say, actually, I've never said this until this game. This might be one of the worst 60-point performances I've seen in a career or in history. Why do I say that? He put up 60. What do you mean it's the worst performance? How can you say that when somebody was so dominating in the game. Shooting with 10 or 14 from three. Shot plus 50% from the field. Broke Kobe's record of most points scored. I think in a half about with what, 46? Was looking to potentially break Kobe's record. They had 60 going into the third quarter. Or close to it at least. Yeah, no, yeah, just scored 62 ultimately. Uh, yeah, he was either close to it or... Right at 60. But what makes it so abysmal? He went two for 10 in the fourth quarter. He was subbed out of the fourth quarter against the Charlotte Hornets, mind you. In the last, what, two minutes of the game? Because it was a liability. He shot the Wolves out of the game and shot Charlotte back into the game. Shot the Timberwolves out of the game and shot Charlotte back into the game. Went from the biggest reason to why they were winning and they were up by, what, 14 at one point, 14, 16? Talk. All of a sudden, they're back. To within two. The game is tied. Because Carl is just wet in the bed. He's folding under pressure. Ultimately, it cost him. It's one of the best teams in the league right now. One of the best teams in the league. Got one of the best records. Still a surprise to me every time I look at the standings. Because it's the Timberwolves. I'm not used to them being good. But they are. Undeniable. But this is why I have my reservations about this team. And it's for a very simple reason. Because of this performance by Cat. And the ability to fold late in the game. With this Timberwolves squad, I have not seen anybody. Except for Ant. I haven't seen anybody. Really be able to show that when it comes down to it, they are able to get the job done late. And by late, I mean postseason late. 
Yeah, we just said that the regular season is supposed to matter all this stuff. I understand it, and it does. But we're also talking about that looking down the line, if this does indeed affect both true that we want to see the Timberwolves or we see the Timberwolves hold this same spot at the, I believe at the top of the Western Conference, what exactly is the faith that I have that they're going to be able to maintain that same level of production? Though they have started out incredibly hot as all-star break approaches. It's the real question of while this team has been playing absolutely phenomenal, one of the best defense teams in the league and one of the best offensive teams in the league, all around has been playing a complete brand of basketball. Got stars playing well. Got Woody Gobert playing well. Carl Anthony Towns, as you can tell, has been playing phenomenal. And Ants being Ant. Anthony Edwards has been playing like the budding franchise star that we know he is. This doesn't change that there is still some shakiness that I have with this team. Specifically for that reason. Like when Cat went absolutely horrible and just all of a sudden flipped off. I'm afraid that that's what's going to happen with this squad as the season goes on. As time keeps on moving, will we see this organization all of a sudden flip a switch and turn off, shut down, fold and discombobulate in totality? It's a right fear because we've never seen the Timberwolves in this position before. To this this version of the Timberwolves. Never seen to this degree. Never. We've never seen them seemingly in all accounts being completely good in this modern day era of basketball. And it's a real question of, again, it's your first time being hitting your stride in this complete of a metric. Since that's the case, how long can you maintain it? Because the greats keep this same stride all season long. And can you do that? It's a real question. And only, literally only time will tell. And I'm happy that it's happening. I'm happy that we're seeing. Happy that we're seeing, again, parody in the NBA. I don't have a, a dog in the fight for whether or not Timberwolves will and won't be what they need to be. But I also know that when you get in your groove, when you, if you do indeed fall out of it, it can be hard to get back in there. Especially if you, if you are just riding the train and aren't really honing in on what is making you so potent right now. What is making you so potent when you're in this flow? And how do we get back to it and maintain it if we do fall out of it? That is the question. That's the question. And since that's the question, it's when it, with a team that, again, while playing great, is new to playing good basketball. Can they maintain it? There's a real question to be asked. And the answer to that question may be no. It may be no. We can see this potentially as a fluke being set up to happen. I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case at all. I truly do hope that that doesn't happen. And hope this team is successful. But that doesn't change. That while the ceiling is high, it can also, the floor can fall from, from under them. In a heartbeat. And if that happens, what? Then will they be able to get back on the saddle? 
or will we see that they just had a monumental and insane stretch of games? And this is indeed the real Minnesota Timberwolves. And finally, for this show, as we cover the world of the NBA, we need to talk about one of the biggest stories going around, right? And one of the biggest speculations going around right now. And that is Katie. One of the biggest conversations going on in the NBA is the fact that should KD be in the GOAT conversation? He himself is asking, why is he not in the GOAT conversation on everybody's list, on in everybody's mouth, on everybody's mind? What, is it just his words? Just because I joined the Warriors? Is that what takes me out of it? That shouldn't be. I should be in the GOAT conversation for anybody because I'm that good. That's his sentiment. Everybody online has been going back and forth. Who is or should he or should he not be? Is he or is he not in consideration? Is it right for him to ask this question? Is it wrong? He, in my opinion on it all, he's right to ask. Because his talent level is world class. He is one of the greatest players that we have ever seen. Legitimately. Definitive top 25. He has always been one of the greatest scorers of this generation. And has been one of the, the second best player in the NBA for a decade plus. Has been, in some people's mind, flip-flopping. As to if he's not the greatest player in basketball. We was him or LeBron back and forth. It shouldn't have been a conversation, but it was. Because he was playing that great. LeBron was playing better, but still. He was definitive number two in most people's eyes. And in some people's eyes was number one. And after the Achilles tear, he's been playing some of the best basketball he has ever played in his career. Even better than in this MVP level of play. So should he ask why he's not in the conversation? Yes, he should. Yes, he should. Fully, he has the right. That doesn't mean that he belongs there. And he doesn't belong there. He has the right to ask if he should. And he has the right to say that I should be in consideration. Oh, yes. You should be considered, but that consideration and whether or not it is valid gets stripped away. Should he be considered in, a, in, in one of the greatest of all time? Sure. Is he in that conversation? Yes. But where is he? Low down the list. And what do I mean? When we say GOAT conversation, greatest to ever do it. We're not just talking about one of the greats. Is, is he a legend of basketball? We're not talking about is he one of the best players. Again, I've already said he's one of the 25 best basketball players I've ever seen to play basketball. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to argue if he's in the top 10? I'll let you have that conversation. I don't think he is. But still, definitive top 25 player ever. He is a GOAT. One of the greatest of all time. It's not a problem. He's an all-time great. But he doesn't deserve to be in the GOAT conversation because the GOAT conversation is reserved for if you are in, if you are ranking, for me, if you're ranking players and you got five of the 10 or the first five of the 10, those should be in consideration for best ever. Those five should be in consideration for the greatest of all time. Sixth and below, you are one of the greatest of all time. Is it? 
If you aren't in that top five caliber, you don't deserve to be in that conversation. And Kevin Durant is not in that top five caliber. If you want to talk about strictly scoring, he's already in the GOAT conversation for being arguably the greatest scorer of all time. I was saying that for a long time. Now, now I'm thinking he's if, if, if he's not the GOAT, he is, hey, he's one of them. He should be in that conversation outright. Absolutely. For scoring. Absolutely. He should be considered one of the greatest scorers, period. Hard to put five scoring players ahead of Kevin Durant. Not just in terms of bag, but in terms of production. No. He is one of the greatest scorers to ever lace up a pair of basketball shoes and to step out on the floor. He belongs in that conversation outright. But in terms of all-around GOAT, absolutely not. And mainly, yes, it is because of Golden State. Let's not mince words about it. It's because of Golden State. You forfeited your right to have yourself in that conversation when you went to Golden State. And no, this is not like when LeBron went to Miami. Miami was a was a team, I believe, under 500 when he was initially going there. And if it was just Wade and Bosch who got there and not LeBron, they wouldn't have gotten out of the second round, in my estimation, in the playoffs for the totality of their tenure together. It wouldn't have. And this, and when LeBron came from Cleveland, Cleveland wasn't able to do anything. Cleveland had not brought any requisite talent to compete against the Boston Celtics at that point in time. He had already given his everything. He had already drugged teams that were terrible to 60-win squads, to dominating seasons by himself when that team had no business being there. No. And don't use that argument of the East was weak. No. Nah, he was on one of the weakest teams in the East. If you want to use that argument. And yet he still came out and beat up everybody. Got to the finals. With a squad that had no business being there. Did it again in 2018. Did he not? So, no. Nah. Put in his time. The organization didn't do anything. Dan Gilbert, the bum of an owner, didn't put anybody around him. Requisite to make a legitimate run at a title, actually viable in winning. And just cold heartedly took everybody out in the East, ran the East, and then showed that he could also do it by running the West. But the move to Miami didn't take him out of the GOAT conversation. No. People may have not liked it. I liked it because I knew it was necessary. Not because he couldn't do it or he didn't have the talent, but because where he was at wasn't surrounding him with the necessary ability in terms of the players to pull their weight to get over the hump. There was no way. There was no way. None whatsoever. Nobody was coming to Cleveland. They didn't put anybody in Cleveland that could get them to be able to beat Boston. No matter how good LeBron was playing. No way in the world. All them 60-win teams were all requisite because of LeBron and nobody else. No disrespect to Big Z. No disrespect to Larry Hughes. But nobody. No. They were only all-stars because of LeBron. 
Just like DeAndre Jordan was only an all-star because of Chris Paul. He made them. They did not help him. He just didn't. Offensively, they wouldn't know. Defensively, hey, it was just great. It was good defensively. But offensively, my gosh, he sucked. If it wasn't LeBron. Spurs exposed it. Everybody exposed it. LeBron was that unstoppable. It was so hard to actually stop. But still, no. Completely different circumstance for why he left to go to Miami versus what KD did. When KD had OKC, when KD had Westbrook, had Harden, had Serge Ibaka, had Tybo Sefalosha, had Steven Adams, had a great bitch, had everything, and had the Warriors on the ropes in the same situation that they had Cleveland in 2016. 3-1. And they blew it. Kevin Durant blew it. Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook didn't play the way they needed to play. They folded. And Kevin Durant folded. When he had them on the ropes, they could have gotten to a title. They had already gotten to the finals. They had matured. And then they were almost there again. One went away. Yet, Flounder and fell by the wayside. Just went kaput. Kevin Durant shrunk. Yes, he did. And then he goes and goes to the Warriors, who already won 73 games, who already was seen as one of the best teams in the NBA, who already had won a title, who, who had become the defining team of a generation, of an era. With the best shooter in the world. One of the best players in the world. The second best shooter in the world. And Clay Thompson. Excuse me. One of the best players. Former MVP. Unanimous MVP. Though that should have been LeBron earlier on. Or Shaq. But Steph Curry. Also the best shooter in the world. Still today. But at that point in time. Definitely. Clay Thompson. Second best shooter in the world. Jamon Green was still putting up, hey, he could give you 20 along with great defense. And a bench and a lineup that was all phenomenal. Depth on every aspect. There's no reason that they needed you. But they beat you and then you joined them. Again, Stephen A. Smith called it the weakest move in NBA history. And it absolutely is true. Still to this day, you understand what legacy is, don't you? If you're Kevin Durant. As fans, we do. If you are a real fan, you understand that. And you understand that certain actions can both, both make and break your legacy. It can make and break your status. It can make and break your ability to be called something when your career is over. And when you make those moves, they will leave a mark on your legacy. And you going to Golden State, nixed you, excommunicated, shunned you, negated you, blocked you from ever being considered within the GOAT conversation. Ever. Unless you did something monumental for the rest of your career after you left. Unless you did that, there was no way Anybody was going to put you in the GOAT conversation because of what you did. 
And your resume, again, it's not that your resume is bad, but not, it's not just the move. Your resume itself isn't up to par to be considered in the GOAT. It's just not. The resume that you have is not up to par to be considered in the GOAT conversation. 30-time also, four-time scoring champion, phenomenal. Two-time MVP, or excuse me, one-time MVP, two-time finals MVP, two-time NBA champion. What was it? Ten-time All-NBA. We know rookie of the year. It's a great resume. Don't get it twisted. Absolutely. It is a phenomenal resume. NBA 75th anniversary team. It's a great resume all around. You are one of the best players to play. You are a great, but you nixed yourself out of being called the GOAT conversation. Because now when you put context to these accolades, like the championships and the finals MVPs, brother, no. You willingly ripped away any right to have your ability to be considered a, the GOAT, the GOAT. Not a GOAT, but the GOAT. A GOAT, no problem. The GOAT, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. Huh. You went and took a route that most people would be ashamed of from a competitive standpoint. See, that's the thing. Competitiveness still means something in the legacy of your opponent. There is a reason why we have in the boxing world Sugar Ray Leonard and Sugar Ray Robinson all above Floyd Mayweather. Because when you put context behind Floyd's career, it tells a completely different tale of competitiveness. 22 beat champions, most that ever, most ever in a career. No problem. Undefeated. Beat Marci Rocky Marciano's record of 50 and 0 in a career. Both, they're phenomenal. It's no disrespect. But you know we're close to the go conversation. Not when contextually. You had Sugar Ray Robinson over 40 and 0 and then lost and then revenged that loss and then went 80 and 1. Or this year, then went 80 and 0 for the rest of his career. It, brother, fighting the best of his era over seven times per opponent. Nah. Sugar Ray Leonard going through and running through, or not running through, but fighting the Four kings of boxing. Hearns, Duran, and Hagler. With him being the fourth king. Being champion and being consistently dominant against some of the best of the best. You're not him. You're not him. Joe Lewis having 22 heavyweight title defenses. Insane. All against, again, the best of the best at their prime. Ali, Frazier, George Ford, we can keep going. Julio Cesar Chavez, there's so many people that have accomplished so much. All of these careers, 100 and something. Sugar Ray Leonard, 140, uh, not, excuse me, Sugar Ray Robinson, 143. Ezra Charles, 100 and something wins. Archie Moore, 100-something wins, 130-something KOs. Do you see, you see the trend, the context behind these achievements? 
then the competitiveness behind these achievements means something as to the legacy of these fighters and athletes and with players in the NBA. Same thing applies. And you ripped out that whole conversation for yourself because you went and went to the best team of an era when you could have beaten them, when you had pieces, when you had a running mate, when you were still seen as the second best player in the world. At minimum three. Because the conversation was LeBron, Steph, and you. And though everybody put Steph ahead, it was always LeBron. It was always LeBron. Let's not get it twisted. LeBron was always the best player in the NBA. Steph became the poster child. And arguably the second best player in the NBA. But you could flip-flop between him and KD if you want to. But KD was minimum top three. And then you go pair at minimum the third best player in the world with the second best player in the world on the best team potentially of an era that lost in an one in a billion chance to the best player in the world. And in my opinion, the greatest player of all time in LeBron James. And that's the only reason why they didn't cap off that one with the championship. Going against somebody that was the only man that could make that possible. No. Outside of that, and you got recruited by the team that just beat you? No. And you went with it? No. You don't deserve to be in that conversation at all. Absolutely not. You have no right. You have a right to question. But you also have no right to act like you, you don't know the answer. You just answered it yourself. You just throw off. Oh, just because I joined the Warriors, that takes me out. Yes, it does. Yes, absolutely, it does. No doubt about it, it does. It does 10 times over. You're the only person whose career asterisk, asterisk is undeniable. And is accepted by everybody in the world. It's understood by everybody in the world. Oh, yeah, this brother's great. Oh, he never really, he never really go conversation. Oh, no. Oh, absolutely not. Look at what he did. Look at how he went about winning. No. And since then, you ain't done nothing. Let's not forget that. It's not just the move. It's what happened after the move. Again, the only reason why, the only reason that you would even be put back in that conversation would be that you achieved some astronomical accolades afterwards. And you didn't. You didn't. Never won MVP again. Didn't become defensive player of the year. You never got back to the finals. You not only did, you did the same thing that you went and did with the Warriors and the same thing that people vilified LeBron for. And you did that two more times. You went, hopped to a team on Brooklyn, Katie, Kyrie, and James Harden. Then when that didn't work out, you didn't, you didn't try to stay you jumped ship and you went and played with Bradley Beal and Devin Booker. Another big three. And CP3 at one point in time. Before CP3 got traded. But you see, you see the trend. There's a trend. There's a trend. We get player movement and player empowerment. We love it. We need it. We want, we want it. We don't want that taken away. This is great. But also the moves that you make also define to a degree. Where your standing can be. It affects it. It does. And the decisions that you made. And continue to make. All make this 
absolutely irrefutable that you cannot be in the GOAT conversation. You have no ability to be in the GOAT conversation ever. You can't. If you had went to any team except for Golden State, if you when you chose to left OKC, when you chose to leave OKC, excuse me, hey, we could be having a completely different conversation. You win a championship with any other squad, we having a whole different discussion, an entirely different discussion. You go to anybody, anybody, except for Golden State, you wouldn't have, you, this, this would not be your legacy. This would not be, this is going to eat you away, ain't it? It's going to eat you up, ain't it? It's going to make you, it's, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you fidgety. It's, it's, it's going to make you think. Because this is going to be something that's going to be on you for the rest of your career. And after you retire, this is going to be what's on your career now. You went and made a decision to go and face and play with Golden State when they did not need you. When they were the ultimate team to be beat. And you had a squad that could do it and almost did it. And you went and played with them. To get a championship. We knew it was just to get a championship. Because we knew it, when you went there, it was unstoppable. We knew that LeBron, Wade, and Bosh was going to be a real threat when they went to the East and when they went and played together. Oh, phenomenal. It looked great. We also knew that, okay, they, they, it look, this looks scary. But it ain't going to be unbeatable. Because you still got Boston in their big three, big four, excuse me. You still had squad like, like Indiana who were giving them a real run for their money. It wasn't like it was just, oh my gosh, nobody can stop them. They're most likely to win. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they weren't favorite. They were. They were. They absolutely were. They were feared. Don't get it twisted. But that doesn't change that we weren't looking at them the same way we looked at that Golden State squad. That Golden State squad is seen as the best put together team in NBA history. That Golden State squad was better than the Golden State squad that set the record for most wins in NBA history. That beat the Chicago 95-1916. That, that squad beat their record and you joined them and you got the audacity to ask, why am I not in the GOAT conversation? Just because, just because of that old thing? Yes, because of that old thing. Because it was a priceless price to pay for the accolade that you wanted most. And it happened. You you balled out. Don't get it twisted. The production was there. But the context now strips away the shine that should have been. Erodes what should have been outright adulation. We don't look at those championships with, with great anticipation. We look at those with, with a scout. You going there brought down the championships for you. Ironically, just for you. We know Steph was on that squad. Dre was on that squad. Clay was on that squad. Yet we owe their championships, though they were on the same team, in higher esteem than you because of what you did. You did this. You did this. You made this. You could have said no. They reached, Draymond Green reached out to you. You could have said no. You could have said no and gone to anybody, any other organization and kept not only the competitive nature of the game, well and alive for that stint in time. But also, you could have gone and won with any other squad. If you weren't happy with Russell Westbrook being your running mate, 
plenty of other organizations that were equipped to be successful. And you chose Golden State. It, yeah, shame. Feel it. Because this is you. This is what you did. It is your price to pay. Your burden to bear. Unless you do something astronomical for the rest of your career, you can't get back in the gold conversation. You can't. You ain't even won, you ain't won one before or since. You took the easy way out. Objectively, you took the easy way out. There's no fan of yours or hater of yours that doesn't agree. Everybody knows you took the easy way out and you went to a championship guaranteed in Golden State. And because of that, we can't look at you or your career in the same way. Because right now, you have nixed any of your validity to have an opportunity to be mentioned with the Kareems, with the Jordans, with the LeBrons, with the Kobe's. You know, don't got not one reason to be considered amongst any. Tim Duncan, absolutely not. Shaq, no. None of them. Bill, no. Greatest of all time, you have no reason. Every name I listed is closer than you, both in actual individual achievement and in legacy. Mm-mm. Nope, you don't deserve it. And yes, proudly we say, you are out of the, you are out of contention for the GOAT conversation and stop acting stupid because you know why. Because you made the weakest move in NBA history and chose to go and play for Golden State. This is all on you. You forfeit. You forfeited your right. You, you are a great, but you will forever be exed from being considered the greatest in terms of all around. Ever. You would never be considered the greatest of all time. The greatest score, we can have that conversation. But no. Greatest of all time, period. You have no right to be in that conversation. No right at all. And with that being said, this has been another episode of The Welch Report. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a phenomenal show. Thank you so much for all the support. Please leave a like on the video. Comment your thoughts and opinions. Subscribe to the channel and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build this empire together of a channel. Also, rate us five stars on Spotify and every podcasting platform. Get those numbers up. Get the listeners up. Share the show with everybody. Make everybody aware that this is the hottest show in all the globe. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back again with more to come and all the happenings in the sports world. Peace and love. We are out of here.